thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Raven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. Yours is number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 379. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This was a 2017 series that was a co-production by Channel 4 and Amazon Video. It ran for 10 one-hour episodes, and they were all adaptations of Philip K. Dick short stories typically lesser-known ones, and they were brought to screen by a number of interesting creators. And also, and I think we say this quite a lot in our recent episodes, Brian, but a great cast. Fantastic actors throughout the 10 episodes to look at and talk about. And as we go along, you'll also recognise, if you're familiar with Philip K. Dick's works, some characteristic themes and interests from his works that make their way into these adaptations, I think. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to run through the episodes and try and give a brief synopsis of each one as we go. We're going to go with the Channel 4 broadcast order, although obviously, as we'll talk about in a moment, that does vary elsewhere. So we start with episode one, The Hoodmaker, which was interestingly adapted from the Philip K. Dick's short story of the same name by Matthew Graham, no less, who we know for creating Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, both of which we've done in the past. But here he is bringing this first story to the screen for us, Brian. Yes, and it gave us a future where telepathy exists, there are telepaths, and the telepaths are starting starting to be deployed with police officer teams with the with the police working against rioters and some somewhat dystopian types of things and we see a young telepath helping to investigate the organizers of this resistant movement and one of the things they are doing is making these hoods that allow people to resist telepathy it shields them from telepathy and the story described them as metallic headbands but graham was taken with the story's title and his childhood memories of it and went with quite literally hoods that people wore over their heads and this one among others featured richard madden best known as rob stark in game of thrones Holiday Granger also leading up in the cast there. So that kicked us off. Uh, episode two here was The Impossible Planet or Impossible Planet. David Farr adapts this story, perhaps best known, I guess, for the John le Carre drama, The Night Manager, which was a huge success for the BBC. So he adapts this story from a 1953 Philip K. Dick story of the same name. And this is the one about a future travel company that provide the sights of the galaxy to their travellers, sometimes in a sort of possibly virtual way or sometimes in an actual physical travel way. 
But when a rich old client asks them to take her back to the lost planet of Earth, the operators are presented with this ethical dilemma because nobody knows where Earth is at this point. This one we have Jack Rayner, who you may have seen in Midsummer and several other films. Benedict Wong play the travel agents. And this has quite nicely Geraldine Chaplin herself playing the elderly client. So again, one of those two or three key members of the cast, and it's sort of interesting stuff who they cast in these things, Brian. Yes, absolutely. And the choice of story and the style of adaptation is always interesting with these. The Commuter is from a 1952 Dick story of the same name, adapted by Jack Thorne, the screenwriter for Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials TV series. And this has a British railway station where the manager is puzzled by a few travelers asking for tickets to a non-existent town called Macon Heights. And when he follows them there, he makes quite a remarkable discovery and finds out what is really there for this mysterious unknown town. Timothy Spall and Tuppence Middleton star. So again, we get some interesting and quite well-known people showing up. We remember Tuppence Middleton from uh, a quite memorable uh, episode of Black Mirror, and she's been in other things as well. Oh, right. Yes, of course. She was in that, wasn't she? We'll be perhaps mentioning Black Mirror a little bit as we go along. And Timothy Spall, what a great presence on British TV and film over the years, a long, illustrious career. We saw him for British Invaders in The Enfield Haunting, that fictionalised adaptation of real-life events that has gone on to influence programmes like Ghost Watch and so on. And I think he was the ghost hunter in The Enfield Haunting, Brian, and I think he was very good in it, I remember. Yes, he really was. And I'm going to say, Brian, that The Commuter and the next episode, Crazy Diamond, were the ones that were most obviously filmed in the UK, I think. Yes, I think so. So, turning to Crazy Diamond, the next episode, this is based on Philip K. Dick's 1954 story, Sales Pitch, adapted by Tony Grissoni, who has since gone on to do a screen version of China Mievel's The City and the City, which perhaps we ought to talk about at some point in the future, but who knows, we'll get to that. In Crazy Diamond, Steve Buscemi, no less, plays a man who works in a factory. The factory produces what are known as quantum consciousnesses for synthetic humans, And then he's approached by a woman who wants him to help her steal some of these consciousnesses. And, well, strange things ensue. There's all sorts of stuff going on in here about factories and life with synthetic humans. Some of those Philip K. Dick themes that we will keep coming back to. Yes, absolutely. Real Life was adapted from a 1954 short story called Exhibit Piece, and this one was adapted by Ronald D. Moore of Battlestar Galactica fame. And here we have Anna Paquin playing a cop who was investigating the death of a former partner while 
there is a sort of virtual life that comes into it and we have a terence howard played character who is connected to things as well and we get into the idea of which one of our two realities is a virtual reality or a game and which one is real that sounds philip k dickian already doesn't it bro very much so and that that's definitely a theme from Philip K. Dick's work, and they brought it out the most in this episode. And I'm glad they chose an episode to sort of highlight that sort of thing. And you may also recognize one of his themes in the next story, Human Is. His 1955 story of the same name, adapted by Jessica Mecklenburg, who I think is best known as a writer on Stranger Things. In a distant future, Earth is at war with a race called the Rexorians, and a heroic soldier, played by Brian Cranston, no less, has returned from the conflict, but he's a changed man. His wife, played by Essie Davis from the Babadook film, has to give evidence to a tribunal to prove that Brian Cranston's character is still human. But what if she prefers the version that's come back to the version that he was before? So interesting themes about identity and exact replicas of humans and people. It's a, you know, again, we're deep into Philip K. Dick territory on this one as well, Brian. Yes, very much so with those questions of identity and humanity and is the human version of something the better version to begin with? So yeah, definitely uh, into that style. So we should get into our production notes. Philip K. Dick lived from 1928 to 1982. He was an American science fiction writer, I think best known for the adaptations of some of his famous short stories and novels including the movies Blade Runner from 1982, which was adapted from the 1968 novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Also, the 1990 movie Total Recall, which was based on We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, a 1966 short story by, by Philip K. Dick. Another short story from 1956, Minority Report, became a Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise movie in 2002. And more recently, his 1962 novel, The Man in the High Castle, has become quite a successful Amazon TV series from 2015 to 2019, four seasons so far. I'm not sure if that's still ongoing, actually, Brian. Yes, I'm not sure about that. But he, obviously, Philip K. Dick, well known for his ideas about identity, about artificial intelligence, altered realities, and a certain paranoid fear of being replaced by identical robots. And also some, I guess, some stuff about power and authority and the power of the state, the power of big organizations in his stuff, Brian. Yes, that's right. And it's often noted that there were some strange experiences and severe mental health issues that Philip K. Dick was dealing with in 1971 and 1972. And this was after most of his most famous works were written. And it was also uh, after the short stories that we've been talking about were written. There are some later works that are available that came out 
later in his life, but they are typically not the most well-known ones and not the ones that first made these sort of ideas that Philip K. Dick would deal with so well-known and so associated with them. And people do tend to mention the 1970s experiences, whatever happened to him then. But as you say, Brian, most of this work is actually all done before that. Yeah, these short stories were from the science fiction magazines of the 1950s, generally, which, of course, were a huge thing at the time. There were many of those being published and a lot of short stories written then. And Philip K. Dick is known for having written a lot of short stories. And there are many collections of his short stories that have been made available over the years. This TV series was developed by Ruddle D. Moore and... Also, the director and producer, Michael Dinner. And that was for Sony Pictures, for their television production company. So, Ronald D. Moore, I think, is best known for creating and being the showrunner for Battlestar Galactica. This is the 2004 to 2009 series. But he also brought the Outlander novels to television with that series as a producer there and was one of the creators and producers for the alternate history series for all mankind. So he's done a lot of interesting work in science fiction. And they originally intended this show to be a co-production between Channel 4 here in the UK and in America, the channel AMC. But apparently AMC pulled out at some point, and I think as often happens now, Brian, one of the streaming companies stepped in, in this case Amazon Video, so they stepped in to take over the production with Moore and Dinner and, of course, the Sony company. Executive produced by Moore, Dinner, and by Brian Cranston as well, who becomes one of the executive producers on this show. And they invited uh, basically a bunch of writers, some of the names that we've been mentioning as we go along, to pick their favourite short stories by Philip K. Dick or stories that they thought would make suitable TV episodes and pitch the idea for the episode to the producers. Yes, that's right. And... Ronald Moore and Michael Dinner picked their own short stories to adapt as well. They were part of the writing for this series as well. And Michael Dinner directs the episode that he adapted as well. The production was split between the Chicago area and the UK with five episodes filmed in the US and five in the UK. And I'm going to say that it's difficult to pick out the other three episodes filmed in the UK, but certainly for the commuter, they used the British new town of Poundbury in Dorset to stand in for Macon Heights, the fiction, the sort of well, strange quasi-fictional town in the show. Interestingly, Poundbury is a new town built in the 1990s, I think on land originally owned by the Prince of Wales, and certainly he had a hand in the development of this new town. He has ideas about um, architecture and design and urban planning, as we know. So that gives you a sort of strange, slightly otherworldly new town look for Macon Heights. But they also they went to the Isle of Purbeck. They went on other locations around the Essex coastline, which you'll see crop up in the Crazy Diamond episode. I mean, I think it's possibly because those two episodes have got the outdoors in them that they're more recognisably the UK than some of the other ones which are set on 
spaceships or in future bases and so on brian yes the commuter has quite a british look to it with the countryside we see and the railway station and how things are set up there and the town itself so yeah that one and using british actors and british accents as well so that one does have a very strong british feel to it The music for the series was composed by Harry Gregson Williams, and the special effects and title sequence were produced by the visual effects companies 4Max, Double Negative, and One of Us. And quite a good title sequence, I think. You know, if you want to look for some sort of themes of Philip K. Dick's works, the title sequence doesn't do too bad a job of that, Brian. That's right. It is quite well done. The first six episodes were broadcast on Channel 4 starting on September 17th, 2017. And those are the first six episodes that we rattled through in this episode. And then you get a pause on Channel 4, which uh, was until all the... All 10 episodes were released on Amazon Video on the 12th of January 2018. And I think, as we've noted, the Amazon Play order is different to the Channel 4 broadcast order. But the stories are all standalone. There's no link in features. So, in a way, it doesn't particularly matter too much about the order, I guess, Brian? Yes, it definitely is a different order. And you could ask questions about which you prefer in terms of which ones get the opening slot and the closing slot and that kind of thing. But they aren't related to each other in any story content. So, it certainly works in either order. And you always, when you have a co production like, this you always have deals being cut about who gets the first release of what so it's not surprising that there was a split where you had some of them being released on channel four and then all of them on amazon and then the remaining ones on channel four and those remaining four episodes were broadcast on channel four starting on february 26th of 2018 so let's turn to the availability of the episodes and how you can watch them Uh, in region two you can get a dvd set for 14 pounds all 10 episodes no extras strangely for a modern show but there you go Or you can buy the individual episodes on Amazon for a couple of pounds in HD, slightly cheaper in the SD version. The whole series is available for £36 HD, £30 in SD. So strangely, again, turns out to be cheaper to actually buy the physical media and this one. I watched them on the Channel 4 app. But since we uh, watched them and did the show notes and so on, that seems to have, they seem to have been deleted from Channel 4 now. I would suggest you might try the Watch Now option on IMDb, which strangely enough seems to work here at the moment in the UK, Brian. So it's possible still to stream them, it seems. Oh, that's interesting. So that may be an option in Region 1 over here as well, uh, at least in the US. Streaming for Amazon Prime subscribers here in North America. This is available for free if you subscribe. It is also available for sale on iTunes for about $20 in the US or $30 in Canada. And it's on Google Play as well. It is not available on DVD and Blu-ray, but there are a few different options 
online. Okay, great stuff. So it is available. As you said earlier, Brian, the short stories have been collected in a variety of formats, but they did put out a special edition paperback to tie into this series that collected all 10 original stories. And each one is presented in the paperback with a short introductory feature from the writer who adapted it for the screen and talking about the story, what they liked about the story and what they changed and so on. I have got that paperback. I have read the stories and the introductions. I would say perhaps... I think many people have pointed this out in the reviews. Probably read the story before you read the introductory piece because the introductory piece certainly contains spoilers for the original stories and for the TV show. So you might want to read them afterwards, if that makes sense, Brian. Yes, and they may have something of a bias to the TV uh, presentation as well. They were written with the broadcast versions in mind, not just with those original stories in mind. But you can certainly pick up the collection cheaply and easily, and it is available on digital as well to read. Yeah, worth reading the original stories. I enjoyed them. Very nice. Next time, we will talk about the remaining four episodes, and we will discuss some of the themes from Philip K. Dick's work and how they come through in these shows and talk about some of the differences between the original versions and the television versions. Slightly controversial stuff to come next time, perhaps, for some people, for some fans. Absolutely. We'll look forward to that. And of course, we'll make up our own mind about the series, the TV show, and whether we'll recommend it to you. And we'll talk about that next time. Absolutely. Until then, you can find all of our episodes on BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on the discussions. Another place to join in is VogNetwork.com, the Voice of Geeks Network, where British Invaders is a proud member. Check it out at VogNetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, it's Eamon in England also signing off.